Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family, and in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. In most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Jennifer Barrett, financial expert, author, and our first ever repeat guest on The Breadwinners. Jennifer and I have not only known each other for a long time, but I've been very honored and very helped from all that she knows about the issues that she focuses on in her new book, Think Like a Breadwinner, a wealth-building manifesto for women who want to earn more and worry less, which is available this week. All of which is to say, welcome, fellow Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be back. So, yes, you know, our spirit animal, (laughs) such as yourself... (laughs) (laughs) we you know it's all about breadwinning Mm -hmm. and that's you know the pillar stat that we founded this whole thing called the breadwinners a million episodes ago was that 40 percent of women are now the primary earner in their family two-thirds because it's their single parent a third because it's dual income and they are the bigger earner for their family but that's just one way of saying it the dollar amount Mm -hmm. right What you're thinking about in your book is how to reframe, okay, now what does that mean? And what does it mean if you're not the primary earner, but you're still bringing, you're a breadwinner? So I'm just, you know, where does this come from? Where are you taking it? Let's talk about what we need to think about as breadwinners. Sure. I love this topic. (laughs) (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) We think about it all the time. Sure. Where should we start? Yeah. So where, okay, well, let's start from the beginning. Where does the narrative come from that women don't, like, you know, it's just, and I feel it, you know, like you can make all this money, but you don't really, financial stuff, oh, it's too hard or, oh, it's boring or, oh, it's confusing. I don't know. There's a financial responsibility to create the lives we want. And so where does the narrative come from that there's a hesitancy for it or some sort of fog for it for women? Yeah, I think it goes all the way back to childhood. So we know from surveys that parents talk differently to their girls than they do to their boys. Often it's not conscious, but in surveys, they say that they are more likely to talk to their boys about how to invest and how to build their credits. And they're more likely to talk to their girls about how to shop smartly and how to make a budget. And so you see how that carries out You know, over the following years. We get the same sort of messages in our media. We get the same sort of messages from our culture that sort of reinforces this idea that women are the budgeters and women are the consumers and men are the breadwinners. And so by the time we're adults, we are really ill-equipped to think of ourselves that way because that message has been reinforced over and over and over again that we, you know, we feel very comfortable making a budget. We feel very comfortable clipping coupons and finding sales but we feel much less confident building our wealth. So much less confident investing our money and really thinking about how to build our credit so that one day we might be able to buy a home, all of that. Yeah. And I will say just one quick caveat is that the messages that we get also depends on our community and where we grow up. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's a little bit different, for example, for the Black community where women are much more likely to be breadwinners. And that has been the case for decades. Yeah, But I think the core problem remains the same, which is that we're really not preparing women 
to fill that role. And so often when we find ourselves in that role, we are surprised to find ourselves there. We did not expect it and we feel unprepared for it. Yeah. An old study we did at Working Mother a long time ago, it was something like 77% of women who were the primary earner in their family said it was a chance thing. They didn't do it by choice. Exactly. And I know that was the case for me. I just never, it makes sense now because I like those roles and they tend to come with more earning power and more stress in, Mm -hmm. you know, in management and all that sort of stuff like, oh, but it's not something that we sat down and thought, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. And the follow-up to those questions back in the day that we did was those that did though, were way happier. Yeah. Like they embraced it. They, you know, okay, so that means thus, you know, we can take the, we can push this conversation forward of if I'm going to be the primary earner, here's what I'm going to need to support that endeavor and to make our family work as opposed to resisting it. Like I'm not really the primary earner. I think that's a key point. And I interviewed over a hundred women for this book and some of them had grown up with a breadwinner mindset. And often what happens was in one case, there's a woman, Simran, who I talk about quite a bit. She's a good friend of mine. Her father had essentially raised her like a breadwinner. She was the oldest of three daughters. He didn't have a son. He taught her how to invest very early on. He taught her how to save. And hmm. yeah, v- really important lessons that ended up serving her really well. They ended up being quite critical because she lost her husband when she was in her 20s. And they had a, a young son at the time. Her husband died in a car crash. And she was, I mean, it's a terrible thing to happen to anyone, but she was able to manage it financially in part because she had gotten those lessons from her father. So when she got the insurance settlement, she actually invested it in an apartment and rented that apartment out and used the rental income in part to subsidize her own income rather than what I think most people would do, which is spend the insurance settlement and use it to kind of subsidize their life. And that would be right. a perfectly normal thing to do. When I found out she hadn't, I, you know, I, I started asking, well, why would you even... Yeah, why would you think ahead like exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> because I would immediately think, okay, let's pay off all debts. Yep. Let's clear this, you know, and it's like a, it's, it's still a good story in that sense. Like I would clear off all the debts mm-hmm. and, and then kind of sit and wait for the future to happen. Yeah. You know, as opposed yep. to like, okay, we're going to make the future happen. Yes, we're going to invest yeah, in it. Exactly. And she was in her mid-20s at the time. Her Amazing. husband had been bringing in 60% of the income. But what she told me when I asked her about it, she said, well, my dad taught me that was capital, that anything I get outside of my paycheck, you know, it's, it's capital. Yeah. That wasn't money that I was supposed to spend. She said that was money that was for our future. And so I wanted to invest it so that we had a more secure future. And then I just cut our expenditures dramatically. And then I found a better paying job. <laughs> I, thought <that> was, <laughs> I just thought to myself, there's no way when I was 25 or 26, I would be thinking that way. So she was the first person I oh, met no. who really had, yeah, who really had a very different mindset. And I would go on to interview other women. What I often found was that they had grown up in a situation sort of time and time again, where their parents had gotten divorced and their mom had been a stay at home mom or had been relatively dependent financially on their father. And they saw what happened to their mom when the divorce happened. And they said to themselves, I am never going to put myself in that vulnerable position. And that I've heard that message a few times. And so it usually was something like that, that had happened in childhood that overwrote the messaging that a lot of us get. And so they came out of college with a very different attitude 
than many of us who had sort of come out of college expecting, you know, the message we get is get a job, get married, save a little for a rainy day, save a little for retirement, and you're fine. And that's just not enough anymore. No, every factor will tell you that in the minimum, your earnings are going to be so important to your family. And oh. and your family could just be you, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's whatever the definition. But if you're going to partner with someone, you're going to have kids or not have kids or stepkids and or you're going to foster your there's just going exactly. to be life is going to become complicated. And every single economic number says women's earnings are so freakishly important to the stability of families now. Yes, critical. Absolutely critical. We've we've seen that. I mean, we we saw that really in the last several months, we've seen how incredibly important women's earnings are. And when women step out of the workforce, the potential impacts that can have, not just on families, but on the economy. Well, and so to think like a breadwinner, you bring it forth as a manifesto, because I think there is so right. I think that word is so aptly chosen, because there is a cohort of us that are sitting here and thinking and to point us in the difference of moving out of budgeting. I'm mm-hmm. great. You know, I know where every penny, I was just looking at my own business's money this morning and I'm like, I know where that dollar is and I know what that was. And mm-hmm. I, it's like constantly budgeting, budgeting, budgeting. Mm-hmm. Which is a good skill to have. I'm not, totally. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to do that, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. But I'll tell you, we I just are going through the college application process and our college asked for me to produce a P&L for my own business, which I have a week by week financial look. I track, seriously track every penny. I've never pulled back and looked at it from an annual. Maybe I look at it annually and I look at it weekly, but to look at it quarterly mm-hmm. and to see if that was a very interesting exercise. And I'm like, ooh, that's, you know, Important. where is the capital? Yes. What do I do with that capital? Yes. And so I, I like the idea of a manifesto to get us to move to the next step, which yeah. is wealth building. Yes, which is critical. Which is really, (laughs) but you're right. A lot of it is this mindset. It's a mindset of abundance because, yeah, right. Because women are taught to penny pinch, right? We're taught to pull back, and so often we are encouraged or pressured to compromise and accept less than what we want. Whereas men, from a pretty young age, are encouraged to build, to build their wealth, to build their credit, to think more expansively. So part of the mindset shift is really starting to think about your capabilities and the possibilities in a different way as being much more expansive, much more abundant, rather than this like count every penny and have to budget and yeah, which is more of a a scarcity mindset. Yes. I've been thinking a lot about thinking as a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. And not just like, I'm going to vision board it and it's going to abundance is going to come to me. I it's like, what if I think that Mm -hmm. there's more to be had? Yes. How would I get there? How would I do it? Yes. And that is a breadwinner mindset. I mean, that's the breadwinner mindset I talk about. And I know it can sound a little woo-woo to vision board. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> but I, I, do, I do it. At the very least, I have, um, I have a Google Doc that I fill out pretty regularly, at least annually, where I look at what I want to accomplish in the next one to three years. And I really push myself to think, big, even if it feels kind of out of reach at the time, because you have to set those goals, you know, those big lofty goals in order to grow and to stretch. And, and it is a little bit out of our comfort zone, I think, to not pick a goal that we can see a straight line to right away. So we, yeah, I really pushed myself to do that. And frankly, it was, 
thinking about what I wanted and literally writing down this vision that I had for my future that that prompted the shift in the first place for me because the things that I wanted were just so important to me. You know, at the time it mm-hmm. was being able to afford a second child, being able to stay in New York City, which was a city I I loved. I mean, it's not it's, an easy, it's, it's easy a con- right? That is yeah. a constant <laughs> right, battle, but <laughs> for many reasons. Woo-hoo! But but yeah. it was really you know when I first had told my sister, look, I want to stay in New York. I want to have another kid. We need to get a new apartment. We were in a one bedroom at the time with our... Oh, us too. Yes. Yep. With one child. You know this. So we're, yeah, you yeah. Know, our son is three feet from our bed and it was just, yep. we're like, this is unsustainable, you know? And I <laughs> realized I needed to play a much bigger part in making sure that we could have these things. And that's what sort of flipped the switch for me. But I remember yeah. telling my sister who lives now right outside of DC and she said, why don't you just move to Jersey? And I I thought, yes, that is a definitely is a possibility. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not, you know, and I think a lot of people do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I came to realize was, but wait, for me, that would have been a compromise because I love the city so much. And I really wanted to raise my family here. And so there mm-hmm. would be nothing wrong with leaving. But what it came down to was, am I going to step up and do what I need to do in order to fulfill on these dreams that I have? Or am I going to compromise on them? And obviously, we'll compromise on different things. But that was one thing I didn't want to compromise on. And that is actually what set me on a new path, which was, I need to earn more money. I need to start investing pronto, not just in my retirement account. I need to start saving more money. And at the time, I was like, I need to pay off my credit card debt. And so it led to a series of really significant changes in my life, quitting my job or taking a severance package, I volunteered for it, investing the whole thing, hustling and freelancing and making 50% more in that year than I had in my job and then moving into management. But it it really, had it not been for that moment where I thought, oh, these things that are so important to me are at stake. How did I let that happen? And really, you know, having a second child or having a home of your own, these are really important things. This wasn't like, I want a mansion or I want a yacht, you know, it wasn't anything like that. It was something that I realized was just so important to me that I was willing to make some sacrifices in the short run to get there. And that that is what this really comes down to, right? Is if you don't have a breadwinning mindset, if you do deep down in your subconscious believe that someone else is kind of kind of help you get there, it can leave you really vulnerable. And you can end up in a position at some point where you just can't do something that really, really matters to you because you can't afford it or because, you know, you've been counting on someone else to help you and that person just doesn't show up or they lose their job or you get divorced or whatever it is. But that was ultimately what led me to write the book is I just thought I was really lucky that I had that wake up call and I still had time to shift the way I was thinking and shift the way I was approaching money so that I could still have the things that were so important to me and make it happen. But I had lots of friends and I'm sure you've had them too. You know, we got to our late thirties and I had friends who'd always wanted to have kids. And I remember one particular conversation with a really close friend of mine where she said she hadn't met the partner she wanted to have kids with. And she said, I can't believe this, but I don't think I'm going to have kids. And it wasn't because she was physically incapable of having them. She just didn't, she financially, she couldn't afford it. And it was so heartbreaking to me because I just thought, gosh, if we had prepared for that possibility, you know, if we prepared for that possibility early, you wouldn't be in a situation like that. And I had other friends who did go on and have kids themselves, you know. But mm-hmm. it's it's those to let money get in the way, right? Yes, it's like of something that is so deeply important to you, you know, yeah. something you so yeah. deeply want was like just heartbreaking to me, and so that's that's kind of what 
spurred me on to write this. Well, and so now, so we have it, then where, because, you know, it's much like when you get married and they're like, and when will you have babies? So you've written the book. Now, what will you do? <laughs> oh, <laughs> they're going to push you into the, what's the next step? Where do we go in terms of like getting the message out there and yeah. advocating for this mindset and advocating for the things women need? Because also we recognize the fact that well, women have two thirds of the student loan debt out yes. there. There's the gender pay gap. Well, you acknowledge that we put that to the side. We talk about it all the time. But so what do we where, what do you do next for us? Because we need help. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, I talk about this as much as I can. And mm-hmm. I, I actually took a leadership and performance coaching certification program. I'm going to get my certificate in a couple weeks for that. So cool. I'm excited. I know. And I started coaching women really focused on that mindset, but obviously more than, than that too. So that's a piece of it. But I, I also realized like coaching, it's one person at a time and I physically just cannot yeah, reach right. the number of people I want to. So. I think, you know, putting the book out there as part of it and yep. going on podcasts like this and speaking about it is really important. But I've also joined a task force of, of other women who are really fighting for policy changes around paid leave, around expanded access to childcare, workforce policy changes, like allowing more flexibility, all of these things that are yeah. so important. So I think that that's a big part of it. So mindset is part of it. And the other part of it is, policy change. And that, again, of course, comes back to mindset, because it's not just women who are raised to think this way, but men think this way, too. Men assume that women will be the caregivers. We all, as a culture, just assume that everyone has a, you know, access to free childcare at home or care for a loved one who's ailing at home. And the assumption is it's, it's a woman who will step out of her career or who isn't working. Yeah. And we just can't, we cannot make that assumption anymore, as we have seen in the last several months in this pandemic. So I'm hoping that coming out of the pandemic, we will see some real changes. There's a lot more momentum right now behind things like paid leave and in particular paternity and maternity leave, like really trying to push men to be more comfortable taking that leave too. And that's critical. We've seen how that's affected things like the gender wage gap in countries like Norway and some of the other. Scandinavian countries, it was critical. It was absolutely critical in helping to close that gap because all of this sort of rests on this outdated assumption, you know, that men should be the breadwinners and women should be the caregivers. And that continues to inform our policies, the way we approach money, all of these things, it just trickles down. And so we really need to get at the root of it in order to make those changes. Well, and so with the task force, is that pointing towards like federal policy? Is that what it you're is. hoping for? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I know you it know, sounds very, doesn't it sound very, uh, well, that's, I, I, <laughs> so but it's million, not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. It's because for a million years, you know, it worked with the best companies. And yes, the only place you really saw real change were companies in a wonderful pissing contest of mm-hmm. outdo, you know, especially like the law firms would all, Somebody would go like, well, we're going to offer 12 weeks fully paid leave. Yeah. And then, well, I'll do 15. Well, I'll do 15 for all parents. That's I'll great. do, you know, and it's like, <laughs> great, wonderful. But it's still very much an employee lottery, you yes. know, like, a, like an employer lottery that you show up and you're like, oh, what benefits do I have? Yes. And then you see it in the city. There was momentum back in the day in cities and states. New York State has the, is out there in front in terms of paid leave law and sick time laws and stuff like that. But still, 
It's like eating around the edges. We, it's, there's a lot of people in New York, but it's still, there's a lot of people in Arkansas and Iowa and Ohio that need this stuff too. You're exactly so, right. Yes. You know, and 80% of people will tell you that every time they do surveys, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever, that they want paid leave. Mm-hmm. So we need to make it so that you can continue earning that salary. If you choose to be, you know, work for the corporation or whatever, that you can leave and come back from yeah. having a baby. Yeah, it's so incredible. I mean, we really, you know this, we yeah. are the only developed country that doesn't have this in place. Like we're at the point now where Norway was in the 1970s, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like <laughs> stunning to me that we're still having these conversations. But you're right. It's been really piecemeal. Like New York City has yep. universal pre-K and there are, you know, more than a dozen other cities that have done the same thing, but we don't have a federal policy around this. And so it really is on you as the individual when you're looking for an employer to to do the research together. Right. Yeah. I need to make the salary to have the capital to invest and build my wealth. You know, like, yeah. Yes. And to even think about those benefits, we often don't. I can tell you when, you know, I mean, I worked at Newsweek when I had my first kid and we had the guild had negotiated a pretty strong leave policy, but most of it was unpaid. And I didn't even think to check that when I got the job, you know, I didn't even think to check all these benefits because it's just not the first thing you're so focused on. What's my income? Do I get vacation? Do I have a 401k? You don't really think about the other benefits like that until you're considering, you know, having children. Until you need it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a little late. Which is also right when you need to be building wealth Uh to support Uh that family. (laughs) That is the irony. (laughs) It's like, right. As your expenses go up dramatically, you're you're yeah, stepping out of the workforce and you're giving up a huge amount of income during your paid leave. For most people, even if you have short-term disability, you're taking a major pay cut, pay cut of one third. Can you imagine if you were just working and your boss came in and said, I'm cutting your salary by a third? It would be insane. But we, yeah. we accept that a lot of times with the short-term disability and then cobbling together vacation and taking oh, a few unpaid weeks. And so we're now behind the eight ball financially. And then we come back and there's the motherhood penalty and we may have missed out on a promotion and we haven't been contributing to our 401k. And that just sets us off you know, yeah. on a trajectory that widens the gap as we continue. It makes it to hard to even our, budget. Like our so skills hard. as budgeters, yes. you know, then get taxed, you know, yes. and then, yeah, I see it. I see you putting the pieces together. If we get that wealth building mindset, we need to have access to capital, either yes. through our earnings or lack of debt, you know, like yes. that we come out with lower student loans or that we make more money, whatever it is that we have capital that we can then turn into investing because exactly. we need to get there. We do. As we a do. gender. We hey, do. women. I mean, that is literally, <laughs> it, no, it's literally the only way that we will close the gender wage gap or the gender wealth gap, which is even bigger, or the gender leadership gap for that matter, because if you aren't prepared financially, or if you start to pull back, you know, at that point, when you have kids, you will not reach the highest levels in your company. And on top of that, right now, and we need to think about how we talk about this is the image of women who are in leadership. There's so many negative associations with it right now, this idea that you cannot have a family and also be in senior leadership, or you cannot Mm -hmm. be a mom and or good mom, if you're in senior leadership, or, you know, most women, and, and this used to be true that a lot of women didn't have kids who were in senior leadership. Yes. That is just not true anymore. I mean, you look at, yeah, I, yeah. thinking of Kara Golden, who just, her book just came out. She has four kids. She's running a company. I mean, this is not, yeah. and she's hardly the only one, but I feel like we need to have more of those sorts of role models that are saying, hey, look, I have a family. 
and I have a very successful and lucrative career and we are making it work and the family is fine, you know, and, and just sort of with our own investment, right? Yes. Yes. Like look at Kara with Hintwater, right? She is building her own company. Exactly. I am sure a lot through passion and desire to be an entrepreneur and what she's doing, but also I'm going to bet, and I'm speaking for her, but I bet you part of it is that she couldn't make this work on her own or it was too hard. Mm -hmm. It wasn't worth it. I'll make it on my own. I'll do it myself and Mm -hmm. I'll make my own wealth. Thank you very much. And I think that is a big part of it. I think some women look at corporate America or they're in a job where they feel like this is just not working for me. What are my options? And your options are either you advocate inside your company for change. Mm-hmm. And we saw that at the startup where I worked, where women were like, hey, we need a better maternity leave policy. And it happened. <laughs> you know, yeah, So it is nice. possible. It yeah. is possible for that to happen. But that requires a lot of effort. Or you say, okay, I'm going to go look for an employer who, who will support it, me. Yeah. yeah, the way right. I am supporting them. And you shift careers. Or you step out of it entirely. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to create the company that I wish I could work for. And you see a lot of women doing that too. So, yes. But it shouldn't come to that where saying to ourselves, okay, we're going to take this on individually and try to fix it for ourselves because collectively as a country, we have not found a solution to this. That's what needs to happen now. It shouldn't all be on, you know, a woman's shoulders individually to try and figure out how to make this work. Right. Because not if we want our, you know, our country to procreate and and exist in the future, we need to provide more support for working parents generally. And we need to remove a lot of the biases and barriers that hold women back, whether you have kids or not, in the workforce. Really address those. Well, geez, I don't agree. No, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I think it does all stem back to, you know, with all the things that we do on for the individual policies and, and how it all works together. I do think that if you come to it from a wealth building mindset, That's an interesting way. So what do I need for that? Yep. So thank you for that. Yeah, it is so important. I mean, that gives you building wealth from the beginning, like using every paycheck as an opportunity. I say use every paycheck as an opportunity to be less dependent on your next paycheck. So that means your check comes in and you think, how much of this can I use toward my future, right? As much as you can. And you start building that wealth because nothing else will give you the independence that building wealth will. If you have enough invested, you just become less dependent on your paycheck. You have more options. You can step back and know that you'll be okay. You can weather um, challenges in your career. You can think about starting your own business. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you don't have money invested and growing for you, you're stuck. You limit your choices dramatically. Oh, man. Thank you for that. I'm I'm raising my fist for you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on The Breadwinners. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so great to have you back. Oh, it was really great to come back. I I enjoyed it. Our guest today was Jennifer Barrett. You will find links to her new book and some of the topics we discussed today in the episode description. Email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe and to rate and review us. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices.
amplified.